Someone else has already said it best. This is the best, the best of it. The best ones aren't as good as you probably think they are. What is best in life? I did the best I could. Doing my best. 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 Welcome to Best of the Best Podcast with myself, Connor Keys, alongside me, as always, Ronan Emmett Mullen. You remember this? I remember I honestly thought we were going to play the whole fucking album. <laughs> Just too many, funny. So many false starts for the lyrics. That's right. Here come, I remember coming. Yeah. No, 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 not now. <laughs> Two minutes, 30 seconds into the fucking song. Uh, so yes, you're very welcome. We are here today to do uh, the one and only Dark Side of the Moon by Pink Floyd. Named after Pinky Floyd? Named after Pinky Floyd. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, the dark side of Pinky. Uh, <laughs> so yes, we are. Uh, we're here to do the 1973 into the 70s. By we're big 70s music men at the we minute. We are big. Yes, we're it's been uh, a few. All right, we've, we've five or six. <laughs> uh, but this one, I don't know how it's taken us this long to get to this one. <laughs> no, uh, we we talked about it uh, a while back, and we were both like, "Yep, yeah." There was, there was no, no conversation yeah. after that. It was no need for research. Obviously. No. Uh, yeah, so the uh, Pink Floyd, Dark Side of the Moon, probably one of the, I was going to, it's definitely their most famous album, mm-hmm. but it may be one of the most famous albums in the world. Uh, I, I, I see. the record sales. Yeah, well, there's, I think there's a mental stat. It was an album charge for 741 weeks. Jeez. Which is 15 years. <laughs> it still sells 10,000 a week. And they say the reason that happened it's because boys were on the reefer, kept uh, losing their company. God forgive you, it's an awful thing to say, Ronan Mullen. <laughs> now they said that. Are you trying to say there's short-term memory loss within the <laughs> no, reefer community? I think they kept bringing it to their mates' houses <laughs> and then going, did I leave that there, man? And the boy was like, no. It's not about it again. And his mates fucking balls deep. <laughs> uh, he's balls deep. In the sky. Uh, yeah, so I mean, it, 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 it's, a, it's a very famous album, very famous uh, cover as well. Mm-hmm. Something um, that... Instantly iconic. Yeah, that's uh, the Storm Thorgensen again. He's done every album that you remember the cover of, and this is probably his most famous. Yeah, so we've got the the the, the prism, the, the light coming through the prism, yeah. and, the, and the rainbow. Uh, again, it's uh, I suppose it's 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 very fitting to uh, to this album because mm. <laughs> yeah. you go in one way and come out the other. <laughs> yeah, you fucking do. Like, there's no way you could predict what was coming in this album when you first heard it. Do you remember when you first heard it? Oh, it would have been later on. So you're probably I knew Money mm-hmm. as a song. I suited it. I didn't know that was Pink Floyd. Yeah, until I was fifteen, I sixteen. Yeah. Um I think it might have been about like eighteen, nineteen before I actually finally sat down with the first one. Yeah. Uh the for the first run through, start mm-hmm. to finish. And then as the sort of years after that progressed mm-hmm. and I found my good friend Mary Jane, the two mm-hmm. of us would have sat down and listened to it quite a lot. Well, because it's one continuous song. 
Yeah. There's no brakes. No. Nightmare for the Spotterface. <laughs> but uh, for no the boys no, with the vinyl, not a bar at all. Uh, there's no DJ tracks in this one. This is a 45-minute song. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, no, first time I heard it, my brother was in Bulgaria on a school trip. Mm-hmm. It was a good story. <laughs> and he, oh, it um, starts well whenever you're in Bulgaria. <laughs> they were doing a karaoke a competition. <laughs> and they won the competition. Him and John McGee won a karaoke competition singing Great Balls Fire. And <laughs> <laughs> they offered him prizes. Corey went, Ronan likes bad playing Floyd Boys. I'd only heard the wall. Right, yeah. So, got me dark side of the moon. And that same trip, <laughs> the boys were taking photos of their butts. <laughs> And uh, somebody got hold of the copies and posted it in the, sneak, the Sacred Heart. Put them up in some pats behind the glass. No way. So nobody could get them off. So all the boys <laughs> going put in the school. Oh, look, who's that? Who's that? Uh, Cormac and a few of his mates got in the bother. Our good friend, Uh huh. got a few wee weeks off school. Of course he did. Because in his picture, <laughs> you could see his ball bag. <laughs> <laughs> I've laughed about that all day. Yesterday. Droopy balls, McGahey. So <laughs> on. Like, Hanging so, down by his knees. So Cormac <laughs> came in with Dark Side of the Moon to me and was like, got your Dark Side of the Moon. It was, it was like an old fucking copy of it, you know? Right. With an old shitty photo, photocopy <laughs> cover and a, and a replacement fucking CD. And then a week later went, me and McGuire are well <laughs> So that's that's when I first that's heard That's when you first got it. I never even actually physically got to, uh, I never actually physically owned the album until, because uh, I used to steal it off my uncle, but um, mm. till probably, yeah, with, uh, with 10, 15 years ago. No, uh, I still don't have it in vinyl right now, but I, ha- I do have a copy of it. Now, obviously, in the modern age, uh, it's modern. it's on it's on playlists all over the place. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so, I mean, we should talk about maybe one of the key things about this album is that it's, <coughs> it's classed as a concept album. Yes. Um, telling the story, mm. which, as you say, 45 minutes long story. That's yeah. ultimately what it yeah. is. Yeah. Um, but can we talk about what it was that made it such a iconic everlasting album you know what apart from the fact there are absolute belter songs on it yeah i just i i've always wondered did it hit the right time in 73 you know were, were the because we should talk about maybe pink floyd uh pre yeah this is their eighth album yeah so you're talking the sid barrett days mm-hmm. obviously they were very very experimental very um, in all manners. In all ways. <laughs> yeah. and, and you will have some purists who will say that Sid Barrett, Sid Barrett's Pink Floyd was the best Pink Floyd. Well, David Bowie's one of them. Yeah. David Bowie says that Sid Barrett is his main influence. He didn't care after that. I, I can't get into early Pink Floyd in that sense. I don't I, know what I, I'm with you. I don't know what it is. I don't know if it's too experimental and I don't have enough drugs. Piper, the Gates of Dawn and Metal and all that stuff. Yeah. Now, when Barrett left, they were still footering about with soundscapes yeah. and all that. They managed to get it more concise. Yes. And from metal on... Well, let's let's go back to the start of this album. In 72, they returned this album before it was recorded or released. Oh, right, okay. So they actually had the full... The set list, as is on this album, mm-hmm. was played in its entirety. Oh, right. And there's a quote from a journalist. It was called Eclipse mm-hmm. first because they found out the Dark Side of the Moon was an album titled by a band called Medicine Head. Of course. But it flopped in its hole. Right. So they went, fuck it, we'll call so Dark Side of the Moon. So there is another Dark Side of the Moon. There's another Dark Side of the Moon. By who, did you say? Medicine Head. Medicine Head. Brilliant. <laughs> you remember Let- Medicine Head? Oh, so how did you fuck you forget them? I nearly called them Lettuce Head. They really <laughs> um, so it was called Fully Dark Side of the Moon, A Piece for Assorted Lunatics. Right. And they were performing it from 1972 in February. And at the Rainbow Theatre, it was acclaimed. A journalist called Michael Whale of the Times described it as bringing tears to the eyes. It was so completely understanding and musically questioning. So, 
the new new material was performed in its exact order, but there was a few. Obviously, the vocals that were put in weren't there that, that by other people in the studio. Yeah. And uh, there was Bible verses instead of those vocals. Okay, right. Um, so, uh, by Claire Torrey. So, they toured and recorded constantly before they settled back to recording in February of 73. And that's when they walked into Abbey Studios. Okay. So, they played it all. Yeah. And people had heard it. So, they knew when you get into the album stage of recording, then there's no actual, there's no jamming, basically, in that sense. No. Because they know exactly what no. they're going to do. It was released in March 1973. Do you think then that gave them, this is just sort of firing it out there, but do you think then that gave them the, the freedom to then mess about, if you want to call it that? They, they have the they have um, the chunk of the song, so they were able to then work I, with I know, loops and sequencers and things like that and just uh, and have fun with the technology. Because don't forget, <laughs> it's 1972, 73. Technology is very limited. It is very limited. But they managed, when they went into Abbey Studios, to find some recording equipment and synthesizers that were revolutionary at the time. Not only that... Roger Waters was a notorious footerer. Yeah. And we not in the yeah, sexual we should way. not talk about Roger Waters, yeah. Uh, if he wasn't coming in and going, I wrote a, ho- a whole new song, mm-hmm. he was in the bar telling patrons of the bar how amazing he is. <laughs> <laughs> Wherever the local bar at Abbey Studios is in London, but that's... Sounds, like you, sounds like you wrote it. <laughs> so that is me. That's exactly what I'd be at. Just wrote a song there, boys. Do you want to hear it? It no, isn't I even a, out yet. I want a pint. I just want to, just want to drink and chat to Roger Waters about <laughs> the football or something. He did support Arsenal, so... Oh, well, well we can't... You know, not everybody's perfect. Uh, I mean, so... so but you're right. Then, you've got Dave... Something, Gil- something happened. And do you think it was Dave Gilmore's introduction? Well, Dave Gilmore was with them from 69, yeah, 70 that, or that's something. That's what I'm saying, to, to, to send them down this direction, because, as you say, 69, 70, he started joining, and then by 72, they're touring this thing, so yeah. they has to have had an impact. And then, obviously, Waters is there. No, 67, because Barrett left in 68. Bartlett, okay, right. So it was he was with them when Bart was still there, but ah, there when, when Bart walked, yeah, yeah. or sorry, not walked, when mm. Bart would notoriously turn up to gigs and just stare at the crowd and not do any of his parts, Gilmore <laughs> would cover him mm-hmm. because they knew that our loopy there was fucking minged on acid <laughs> and he had no body. We're probably gonna have to explain who Sid Bart is. Yeah, Sid. Sid was he since he started the band, Sid was from another dimension. I do he believe he was from another dimension. <laughs> There's a few <laughs> mighty stories, and we shouldn't laugh because the man obviously had mental health issues. But yeah, it was. Basically, fucking amplified by his excessive use of pure acid. Yeah, which well, would send anyone down a lot of hallucinogens. Uh, yeah, involved in this. So Sid Barrett, if you don't know, Sid S Y D. Yeah. Um. He. Yeah. I mean, it was a it was a mental it was a mental health or mental illness. I think a mental illness maybe maybe came along with the sort of the drug taken. The, the members of the band and a lot of his family say it wasn't mental health or mental illness. It was. Brought on by the drugs. Pure drugs, okay. Right. And he, he was taking pure vials of acid. Jesus. He, um, this, this album is basically right around the, the neglect, or the, the want of greed in society and mm. the neglect of the mentally ill. Yeah. It's, it's not, Dark Side of the Moon, it's not an illusion. It's an illusion to lunacy, not astronomy, as some people say. Right, okay, yeah. So, Sid Bart, People that state he lived in a flat with people called Mad Jock and Mad Sue. Right. <laughs> and he believed that acid held all the answers. They thought of Bard as a genius or a god. And in doing so, were spiking his tea every morning with LSD. Holy. So when he wasn't doing it himself, he was being spiked when he thought Jesus. he was. Um, man had no chance then? No. Nah, uh, it left him in a never ending trip, which would give you the illusion that he was mentally ill. Which he was because he was in a never-ending trip, but it wasn't something that was, yeah, I think... it could have been stopped sort of it, thing. Yeah, yeah it, it could have been. been um, he was rescued from all that by, fa- 
He'd be in such a catatonic state, and I should laugh. When Richard Wright, the keyboard player, would leave, they lived together. Mm-hmm. And he would leave to go to play a Pink Floyd gig, which Sid Barrett was meant to be the lead guitar player and singer. <laughs> he would say to him, I'm away for cigarettes. And it would return like nine hours later. And Bart would be like, did you get them cigarettes? <laughs> he wouldn't even ask him what he was doing. He had no idea. Time passed. Jesus. He once, when he heard, he was still in Pink Floyd. Yeah. For a long time. when he, But he just wasn't there. Yeah, he was, he was there in name only. He was there in name only. <clears throat> and to their credit, Pink Floyd to this day still pay his royalties to his family. Right, okay. Um, even some songs he was not involved in in any way whatsoever, but were, he was influenced. Right, yes. You know, like brain damage on this, etc. Mm-hmm. Um, he skipped, he heard that Pink Floyd were playing a gig in Ibiza. Right. And he skipped customs and checking at the airport and ran straight out to a runway to flag down the plane. <laughs> like... <laughs> As only a man on acid would do. Yeah, then he was found on a beach in Ibiza. Pink Floyd weren't playing a gig. <laughs> just went there. He just went there. He was then found on a beach wearing a heavy coat, fully clothed as normal for a winter in Ibiza, with a shopping bag full of cash. <laughs> what the fuck? Uh, they don't make them the gun anymore, do they? He he visited the studio when they were playing this. and uh, No, sorry, when they were playing or recording Wish You Were Here. Right. And they wanted him to sing on Shine On, You Crazy Diamond. Uh-huh. And he was overweight and he had hair and all his eyebrows and all shaved off and all that crack. For the entire day of the recording, he sat brushing his teeth. <laughs> That's it. He didn't sing. He didn't say anything. Didn't do anything. Mad. Like, literally, mad. Like, mad. Yeah. I remember hearing stories about him from Magoo. I remember right. Magoo was the first one that told me, you know the original boy Pink Floyd, as Magoo would just happen to have that knowledge. Of course he would. Um, and pretty much everything he told me then is what we know now it's 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 sad in a way but it could yeah. have been and, and, also, and for for all intents and purposes there could have been a point in time where all these band members and sid bart who was a great songwriter so imagine how good pink Floyd could have been mm-hmm. and they're a great band oh yeah oh yeah Musici- so musically yeah. they're unreal again um so you've got then this album that sort of brings in the the madness of Sid Barrett, along with the technology that they're now sort of discovering and figuring out how they can do. So they're looping yep. things, they're sequencing yep. things, they're Absolutely. synthesizers and stuff. So they're 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 pushing the boundaries of that time and that era. Mm-hmm. Uh, you 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 sort of get the feeling of this, as you say, the mental health thing is a sort of running theme throughout this. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's, it does have that. We talked about the concept album of a mental breakdown as such in the middle of it, as well as the capitalism and all the things that sort of surrounding them. Mm-hmm. Uh, when you, when they get to Abbey Studios, how long was it? You know, was it a, do you think it was a long recording session? It was a month. Month. That's it. So they Again, had all the songs. Like, I mean, the stuff is already there. The it's songs all, they, are They could play it in their sleep at this point, but like you said, rightfully so, that was a month of food turn. Yeah. They were just adding layers to different parts of the songs. And there are layers in this. Like There's layers in this. <laughs> this is the one album now, we've talked about Bowie, we've talked about, you know, Sgt. Peppers, we've talked about Dylan, we've talked about Sex Pistols, but when you put them on, you know, a polysonic fucking surround sound, you yeah. can hear that it's aged. Yeah. This album doesn't age. Not one bit. At uh, all. I re-listened to it uh, this week and absolutely as fresh as can be. Yeah. Um, and that's a testament to their skills as musicians, but also that experimental thing. Now, I wonder... Was it that they learned from Barrett, or w- w- was Gilmore and Waters, were they into that sort of experimental stuff? I think like, they were really yeah. heavily. All the band, apparently, were really into production and engineering. Now, they had Alan Parsons. Yes, I was going to say, Alan Parsons, obviously, he, is a big he's thing. On, have you ever heard the Alan Parsons Project? Yes. Jesus, it's well born. Huh. 
hospital. They're wild. It's wild poppy, and uh, it sounds like the worst Paul McCartney stuff. Yeah. <laughs> hey, like everybody. A, sounds like a bad wings. Ah, it's like, and that's bad. <laughs> yeah. That's fucking awful. So he was an expert. At this point, he was the engineer at Abbey Road. Uh-huh. He, he'd done Let It Be, and he'd that's done right, yeah. numerous fucking Beatles albums. Abbey, he'd done Abbey Road. Yeah, yeah. So this guy knew what he was doing. But I think he just let them go wild. He was like, come in here with whatever. You, like the, We've talked about um, the sound of uh, the clocks going off at the start of time, the song. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. He had all them pre-recorded. Right. He went into an old vintage clockmaker's mm-hmm. and recorded individually. Now, that's not like what we do today. You record it on the phone or whatever. No. He went in with a recording setup, a mobile recording setup, and recorded different chimes. And then on this, they were like, we need to get some clocks at the start of this song. And he's like, <laughs> I have clocks. And he played all of them, all the different sounds and tones and layered them all together. Ready. So he's, he's an expert at this type of thing. And then you've got the timing of it, the context. So the Beatles are just, what, split up in 70. Mm-hmm. So you've got and then Pink Floyd are coming in 72 with this sort of tour and then the album coming out. But it seemed to be, and we talked about this during Led Zeppelin uh, episode, where punk kind of became a, a reaction to this type of music, this type of music yeah. where it was just seven and a half minute long songs, fucking four minute solos and stuff to get. But, and as you say, the punk thing doesn't sound like it aged very well. Um, but I don't think they were worried about sonically. No, not and at I all. I think these were the one, this is probably maybe the last generation who were really into so And I mean that in a way that they didn't know what Sonic meant in that sense. They just mm-hmm. had all this new technology that could make noises. Yeah. Now, for fuck's sake, you can do it in your phone. You can. But at that time, you were like, what is this? You know, so the, the loops and the, the, the sort of sampling and the sequences and stuff, that was, I, I'm not going to say it's, it was brand new. No. It wasn't, but. Because like we spoke about in Sgt. Pepper, they were testing it. Yeah. But, but Pink Floyd got it right. They took it, they mastered it, basically. Yeah. yeah they, uh, they got it. You know, all the stuff that was done before, all the machines were there. But it was Abbey Road Studios. They were bringing in all the latest stuff all the time, playing about with. And then yeah. a band would come and go, can we record here? And they'd be like, you see this thing? <laughs> and then Roger Waters stand there That's for it. eight days going, this is crazy, man. <laughs> You're like, it is fucking crazy, Roger Waters. Uh, so some of the tunes, I mean, you heard during our intro there, that was... Uh, the lead in to breathe uh-huh. so it sort of speak to me slash breathe it's sort of <laughs> again like we say it's one song sort of leads into the other um yeah there's no gaps there's no gaps but i mean some of the standout songs i mean the two singles were money and us, oh, and, them. us and them yeah um money you could totally see as being a single oh yeah you couldn't have seen us and them no being a single uh money end up kind of becoming a we'll, we'll come to that but it kind of kind of become not a mainstream success but it was Pretty up there, like it was. It, it helped the yeah. record that was selling that had already sold three to four million jump to like twelve million and overnight yeah, just from that one song. Like yeah, you know. so it definitely assisted, and but then the stoners start. Yeah, that's that, that's where we're coming, and then we'll get into the other stuff. Um, well, one of the songs, I mean, one of the things that stands out for me in this is because it's uh, it's somebody who doesn't sing on Pink Floyd is maybe one of the stars of the album. Yeah, in that sense, and there's a great story behind that too. Right. Is it, uh, are we going to play a great gig in the sky? Yeah. Play it there and then we'll talk about the story. That'll do.
in that voice. It's incredible. Absolutely incredible. Now, I have replicated that a few times, right? <laughs> and she seems when I was fucking banging me to off a bed. <laughs> Not quite that soulful. No, no. Um, but that there, uh, as a as a piece, mm-hmm. you've got the the musical background is 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 very is obviously great. Yeah. But that vocal, yeah, you know, it's it's it's. It sticks in your head as much as any high point in this album. Yeah, I, 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 almost I'd say it is the high point of I, this album. I was going to say of any album sometimes. You yeah, know that that song to me is probably one of the my definitely in my top ten. Oh, absolutely! It's my, my favorite, favorite song, song in that album. It's just unreal by a mile, and, and it's a great and credit. And there's no words in there's no <laughs> words. Lyrics, it's yeah. an instrumental. Uh, great credit to Richard Wright as well, who wrote all the music for it. Right. Okay. Um, and it was he who was recommended Claire Tory, who is the vocalist here. Yeah, she's the one that uh, who's. Never really did anything no, else. She, really, she worked in the studio before, and right. it was Alan Parsons that went. Do you want you want a vo- vocal in there? Because that's <laughs> the that's the one where they were playing Bible verses live. Right. Okay. And he went, Yeah. Okay. I suppose he said, I've got a girl here that does recordings for us. Do you want to hear a track of hers? And it was her singing vocals, so mm-hmm. singing words, uh, you know, lines and lines yeah. and bars of a song. And she, <laughs> they asked her <laughs> to do it, and she goes, No. Nah, because I'm going to see Chuck Berry at the Hammersmith Odeon. <laughs> so then the Sunday of the week where she was meant to come the Friday, she comes in. So she's nervous as hell, right? And the band explained the whole concept. So there's four upper class toffs going, to, we're doing a concept album based on greed and time and <laughs> mental illness. And she's like, so what do you want to do? And they went, just go in and improvise over, over the yeah. melody of the song that Richard's written. She went right in a bar. And she went in, nervously did that, and then walked out of the booth all red-faced and apologized, going, I'm really, really sorry. I just did a warm-up. And they were all sitting with their jaws open going, that's perfect. <laughs> it's absolutely perfect. First go. That was one take. First go. Fuck and they, off. And she went, I never knew that. What do, you, what, do you mean, what do you mean? They were like, that's absolutely perfect. This song is now fucking opened up to a whole well, new I world. I never knew that. I'm getting goosebumps. Like that. So that was one take? Her takes were then selected, they edited to produce the version used on the track. Mm-hmm. For her contribution, she was paid thirty pounds, the equivalent to four hundred pounds today. So in two thousand four, she sued EMI and Pink Floyd for fifty percent of the songwriting royalties, arguing that her contribution to the Great Gig in the Sky was substantial enough to be considered co-authorship, which it was. I would say it would be. Yeah. The case was settled out of court for an undisclosed sum, and with all post two thousand five pressings, it's credited to Richard Wright and Claire Torrey. Get out of it. Good yep. girl, Claire. Fair play. So they, they looked at it and went, you know what? She's right. You, no but it's the last that. thing they thought of because they were releasing a monster. Yeah. And this album was, the, for the first time on their old record label, was being actually promoted. That's right, yeah. And so then, it picked up traction somewhere. Bringing in your guy uh, for the cover. Um, Storm Thorgensen. Storm Thorgensen. Yeah. And then you've got them saying that they wanted something... Uh, simple but bold, I think was the phrase yeah, they used for the for the cover. And how it, you and came it up did. with that? I and don't. It, and it did. It, that's exactly what it was. But then, I mean, uh, it's back to that thing about this being an entire package. Mm-hmm. You know, you've got obviously the music, then yeah. you've got the cover, uh, then you've got the background to it. But then you have this insert <laughs> that yeah. kind of I don't know if it's set the way for that type of song. I mean, we already had. I think Gimme Shelter was already out. But that's stage, wouldn't it have been? Seventy three. Probably should have been out. Um, so this was almost like a homage to that, um, where you've got that vocal of a female, that high pitched, uh, 
I was going to say whaling. But that's what it's like. It actually is. like a whaling. almost is whaling. Yeah, it was out in 69. Give me shelter was 69, yeah. yeah. So, I mean, you, you've got that sort of almost like a wee nod to them. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think anybody's ever replicated that. No. Gimme Shelter was great and it had its, it has its own place, but nobody has done a full song of that type of instrumental as well as that. No. Um, what, what that there probably is examples no. out there, but there I, may bet, be, I but bet you ever want them to a T is like we were influenced by Great yeah, Dig and the yeah, Sky. You know, yeah, we've, their we've, homages as much as they are their own individual pieces. Absolutely, yeah. Um, I can't believe that was on, like, on obviously there's multiple takes after that, but I can't believe that that actual... That one? Oh, that one, that's that the one. That concept of the one It was, was layered then, just, just based on different... That's that's talent. That's very, very, very talent. what you call that, Mr. Mullen, talent. Fucking right. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, so you've got that coming in, so that's, I mean, that's a special ear. Mm-hmm. So whether that's Parsons or whoever it may have been, but that's an ear to know that she was going to be able to do that, you know, or I, I honestly or think well it was just absolute in. fluke. Right. I think he just had well, a for vocalist. thirty pound. It must be just a flick because they weren't expecting much of it. Probably, nah. But they they wanted someone just to be a part of the song, sort of in the background mm. with the music playing above, because it gets pretty hyped at that point. Because really, I mean, but it, it, how that's a fucking lightning in the bottle, like how, how your throat would survive after that. I'm thinking uh, of the singing in the things. I mean, that's just uh, that's that's really straight in the vocal cords there. Um, you feel bad for the poor backing singer that would have been on the tours after, mm-hmm. who yeah, had to try yeah, to replicate who had that. To do that live, yeah. I've seen, I've seen a few things where somebody has tried to, and it's just not. Mm. They've done it, they've done it live, and it's, the female has tried and given a good go, but it's just not the same. Nah, wouldn't uh, be. Um, so you've got that then, as, and which wasn't obviously released as a single, no. but still maybe one of the more well-known mm-hmm. songs on the album because of just how influential it had been. Yeah, um, I know in recent years, for instance, uh, School of Rock, mm-hmm. where Jack Black's handing out the homework assignments to the kids. Uh, and the wee black girl who's like the sort of going to be a backing singer. Yeah. Great kicking this guy. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's, that's right. That's, I forgot all about that. that. Yeah. So, uh, and that, you can see then that that sort of, uh, that sort of singing then, that is the, the sort of benchmark. Yeah. You know, everything else after that is, you know, uh, trying to reach that standard. And everybody walking around going, I heard it was Aretha Franklin that sung that. And I heard it was, and it wasn't. It was just no. this unknown girl who had sung in backing previous. Yeah. And you wouldn't. You, no. It, it, you, you couldn't. Uh, judge the class level of it. You couldn't judge how good it was versus a Aretha Franklin thing. I don't think it could have been as good as that. No, I don't think either. You would have had their own variations. Obviously, Aretha Franklin bringing soul and all into it, but I, I don't know if that would have been no, as good. I I, 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 I agree with you 100%. And that's not having to go to Aretha Franklin fans, you know, we're not saying anything. No, not, not at Aretha. all. But that's, that's how good it was. That's People how, thought yeah. it was the best singer in the yeah. world doing it. Yeah. And it wasn't. Which is crazy. Which is mental. So somebody hanging around the studio. Yeah. Uh, so, you, you, like we talked about before, we had the um, the sort of mental health element to it, and the sort of uh, it's it's a it's a rec- it's a recurring theme throughout it all. Uh, and you've got these voices mm-hmm. that have been played over the background, and some of them, uh, some of them you can hear clearly, some yeah. of them are buried under the sound, just mumbles or whatever. But yeah. the, and the and the and the ones you hear clearly, it's very obvious that they brought it forward purposely. You know yeah. what I mean? They've done it in a way that it's 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 fading and fitting out. Well, what? What apparently happened in the studio was Roger Waters wanted the voices in different parts of the album. But what he wanted mm-hmm. to do was uh, write out these flashcards. So he would ask the people the same 15 to 20 questions every time. Right. And get different responses. And they were all like, what did you eat this morning? And what's your favorite this and that? And one of them was, are you afraid of dying? And that's okay. when they got most of their responses. Okay. So, but one of them was meant to be Paul and Linda McCartney. All right. 
who were recording the Wings album and Abbey Road at the same time. But of course, with it being Paul McCartney, mm-hmm. all their responses were him trying to be funny. Oh, so they caught him completely from the yeah. <laughs> So they recorded it, but they had Paul McCartney and Linda McCartney, and they were like, this will really push us, because Pink Floyd, at this point, still weren't selling albums. Yeah, like, eighth, eighth album, and they still weren't. They the weren't album. in they any weren't. way. So that yeah. would be, oh, what? wait, Paul McCartney's in this album? Mm-hmm. And they're like, yeah, that's a good promotion. And they still went, nah, yeah, well, A couple suit. of years after the Beatles put up, so I mean, McCartney was still does peak. Like. Just down stupid. Forget about it. Uh, yeah, fuck you, Sir Paul, you're away. Um, but the so, rest of the guys. Yeah, some of the, the, the quotes... Are brilliant. Some of the quotes are brilliant, but they're all from roadies, road managers, and doormen that worked at Abbey Road. Yeah. The road manager for Pink Floyd at that time was Peter Watts, who uh-huh. does the repeated laughing. Right. He's Naomi Watts' dad. Get out of it. Naomi Watts' dad was Pink Floyd's road manager. Never knew. No, not a fight in a fucking bully. Never knew that. You day, think yeah. she'd be talking about it? Every day's a school day. Yeah, you would be fucking, you'd wear a badge when you're walking what, around. What are, you, so what are you starting in the day, Naomi? My, my father was Pink Floyd's road manager. <laughs> <laughs> oh. What about the film, then? <laughs> I found it. You have Jerry O'Driscoll is the one. He's the doorman. He's There's the doorman. doorman. Um, the doorman of Abbey Studios. Of Abbey was, Studios, yeah. yeah. So he kind of gets a very. He's the one that sat out in my head because I heard an Irish accent. I heard an Irish accent. Yeah. What? Yeah. So we've got a, I think it's, this is like a compilation of the voices that were used ah, there's a few, yeah. on the album. There's quite a few. Um, we'll try and see if they play in order. There is no dark side in the moon, really. Matter of fact, it's all dark. The only thing that makes it look light is the sun. <laughs> so like, if you give them a quick sh- short, sharp shock, they don't do it again. Dig it? I mean, he got off like, because I could have given him a thrashing. I only hit him once. It's only a difference of right and wrong, isn't it? I mean, good manners don't cost nothing, do they? Hey, <laughs> if I participate in this fucking effort, I hope I'm going to get my gold disc at the end of this. <laughs> Why should I be frightened of dying? There's no reason for it. You've got to go sometime. I'm not frightened of dying at all. Because when you got to go, you got to go. I don't know, so- I was really drunk at the time. Yeah, <laughs> I was so in that's, the right. That's Henry McCullough yes, from Wayne. Ah, oh, yeah, that's Henry McCullough. I certainly was in the right. Yeah, I was definitely in the right. That geezer was cruising for a bruising. Cruising I for once a reached a stage in my life where I was completely convinced that I'd gone over the brink. I mean, all of that, they have placed them so perfectly yeah. throughout this album. That's obviously a compilation of them in one go. Yeah, even though some of them didn't have the... The, uh, the musical audio behind them, I yeah. can still remember what Where part of the album it's in. <laughs> it's unreal, isn't it? Because it's just a, a huge part of the album too. And such a, it's such a great idea. It's been done before, but it wasn't done like that. No. And the fact that they were so blasé, but who was on it? Yeah. Like, like I said, Henry McCullough, Wings were just yeah. the next year, and Henry, do you want to talk yeah. for a minute? He was the guy. But what happened was... <laughs> doorman. The doorman. Come in here. <laughs> but the doorman <laughs> the break. and the road manager, Peter Watts, mm-hmm. they'd lost the cards. So they were just winging it, going... uh Oh, right. What's your favorite breakfast cereal? <laughs> no, they were, and then they got to the real stuff, uh-huh. the dying, when they were like, just ask the question about dying, and we'll we'll manage to get there. And then, <laughs> when the last time you were in a fight, and did you win? Was one of them. That's the only two they had to get. Right. But they felt that if they just started with that type of stuff, people were like fuck, what sort of questions? Are they? And they'd close up and not say because yeah. they were just talking to mates, like yeah, that's a, yeah, yeah. That's so just a. It's just an interesting. And they wouldn't have known. I mean, somebody, whether it was Waters or Gilmore or somebody else in the band, or, or even Parsons maybe, but they knew where this was going to 
they could visualize where these quotes were going to fit in. Yeah. But if you're answering questions, sitting drinking a cup of tea, and oh, you've I, been there for an hour yeah. having a wee pint with them or yeah. whatever, you're not going to go. Exactly. They're never going to add that bit in, unless it's a pint of fucking acid that you're having. <laughs> Sid was gone by the stage. So Sid was gone. <laughs> them boys were well off that. Uh, but drugs do play a massive part in this. Yeah. Uh, in in the album, I don't know. I don't know much about the history of them themselves when it comes to maybe uh, weed or whatever the case may be. But well, they they, they they definitely were portions who lord uh, they participated without a doubt. I would aye. say, yeah. Um, but then, it, but at this stage, I think it still hadn't reached the no. But, but I think with Bart not being around at all now, mm-hmm. they were like, we can actually be professional. Yeah, because Gilmore's very professional. Yes, he's very, very, very regimental. Very yeah, he's um, very into. Um, getting it right in the studio but having it ready before you get into the studio mm-hmm. like preparing before you need to prepare mm-hmm. and it, it, that's shown in how their live shows have grown and grown into these spectacles that just are yeah, well, unimaginable well, yeah that's the other thing we should talk about I mean uh, it, I don't know if it spawned from this album so much as maybe The Wall or, or uh, I, th- I think it was this was this what it kicked I off? think they were trying to get to the stage where they were financially sound enough as a unit to put the money into the live show yeah they kind of had this sort of uh they got the reputation of being the what would you there's they're almost the cliche now today when it comes to live shows yeah people it's, mock it yeah in and, a way. and maybe spinal tap on a certain extent yeah. had that sort of because uh pink floyd had taken it so far but they'd taken it so far and there's people that say they haven't been able to enjoy a concert experience since they saw Pink Floyd because nothing has ever been able to top it. I'm going to play this for you now because this is always... <laughs> I always remember this as such a cliche as class. <laughs> Just from our one of our previous episodes. Oh, right. For the conference, I'd like four glitter explosions, 12 puff flashes, and, yeah, so the sequence would be puff flash, puff flash, bang. <laughs> well, basically, could I have a condensed... Pink Floyd concert for five hundred pounds. Okay, thanks, Len. No, you can't. No. Um, so it became a, almost like a cliche that it, like they were so well known for mm. their big shows. Yeah. Um, the, the lasers and stuff they got come yeah. into play, and, and you know you're into real psychedelics, like yeah. Proper and but. But I never seen it as flamboyant. I thought I I from what I've always heard or from many shows of theirs I've seen I've never seen them live personally, but any of their releases, mm-hmm. it adds to it so much Absolutely. because it's it's music with gaps. Yeah, it's music with air in between vocals. You know, and you need something to be going on because and I'm I'm not downplaying them as performers. By the way, Pink Floyd are. Dave Gilmore, oh, yeah. Roger Waters, <laughs> Nick Mason, Richard Wright. We didn't give Mason we didn't the, give the whole most yeah. So, but they're not the most exciting boys. No. So the odd pig flying about Aye. and lasers. <laughs> yeah. Grant. Yeah. Grant. Okay. The, the, the sort of I'm not going to say the personality went when Sid went, but no, it did. I'm saying a lot of excitement. <laughs> There's a documentary within the the Pink Floyd Live at Pompeii concert, which is filmed with no crowd. Mm-hmm. And there's a documentary spliced in between, which is the recording of Dark Side of the Moon. All right. And it said the most exciting part visually of the whole documentary is the boys drinking tea in the cafe. <laughs> that would, that would uh, not be surprised. Do, yeah. do you want a bun, John? <laughs> uh, you know, I will take a bun. Right? It's great. 
Whack the it's music, so, please. It is so mad when you think we we talked about this before with Led Zeppelin. You just these these middle class <laughs> sort of posh people. Hello. Uh, but the stuff they're coming out with, and the stuff they're involved in, and all you know, yeah. just didn't. Like didn't they're sitting there drinking their tea and having a bun, and then they're like, "Should we finish off money here?" Yeah. And then they're like, "Yeah, yeah," <laughs> and it's fucking great. Uh, well, on that note, then, so money. I mean, that was that was my first introduction to this album. Mm-hmm. I think the the wall part two. You know, we don't need no education. I think that one might have been the first Pink Floyd song that really. Not breaking the wall. I was, oh, not sorry, not breaking yeah, the wall. Yeah, yeah. That I was a, uh, but you no, know, the the the, the single. Uh-huh. That was the one that I was probably the most aware of because it was so catchy. Yeah. Hey, teachers, leave us kids alone. Stuff like that. You know, you were all like, "Oh, fucking teachers, leave us alone." Wankers. <laughs> uh, so Pink but, Floyd teachers are wankers. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but this is the this is the song that sort of uh, to me was the first time that I went, "Oh, I like that." Mm-hmm. Me too. I'd heard it before I got that album, and I, like I said earlier, I didn't realize it was Pink Floyd, and I definitely didn't realize it was on this. No, and then, I mean, the the thing that got me was, well, I'll play it for you now, but it's the introduction. It's that, to me, it was the first time I'd heard, uh, no, it's not that it's the first time it's ever been done, that's not the case, but it's just mm-hmm. the first time I had heard um, inanimate objects being used musically. Yeah. So in this one, you have a tell register. They're doing the, the sort of ding, ding, the cash, and the, but it's all done in rhythm. Mm. And obviously it's been looped or whatever the case may be, but I was like, oh, that's good. And then you're hit with a fucking bass line. man. He brought <laughs> you're, you're already You're already, already baffled with the, uh, the, the the looping of this fucking cash register. You're like, yeah. oh, I'll get a wee clap along to that. And the next thing the bass hits, you're like, oh, what is that? <laughs> yeah, that's a different rhythm again. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's crazy. It's such, But it's it's so popular now, like we spoke about before. Yeah. I sometimes overlook it. I know. But it, in the middle of the album, how it fades into it and fades out of it. Yes. It's fucking perfect. Unreal, like yeah. So we'll we'll play this now, and uh, like I say, the sort of the the introduction with the the, the rhythm, and mm-hmm. then the bass, and then you've got an actual fucking good song as well yep. on top of it. Yeah, yep. absolutely. Dave Gilmore solo at the end, which is ridiculously good. It's seven eight timing. Yeah. What what? So it's seven eight that to me. So seven eight with the with the the tells with, with everything right the whole way up to Dave Gilmore solo, and they say that's because Dave Gilmore couldn't solo in seven eight. Right. So he goes to play it fucking straight, and then that bit at the end that's da 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 da, goes straight down, and it plays it straight, even though right before it, and apparently mere hours before Gilmore recorded his solo. Dave Parry, who plays the saxophone on this album, fantastically, by the way, he recorded his solo in 7-8. So they changed the entire fucking end of the song because Gilmore was like, I don't know what I'm doing. And uh, this is the most successful song on the album right. in terms of, yeah. you know, popular. It's, success, it's yeah. more, it's covered, uh, this album of covers, it's covered more than any other song. Yeah. Which again, is probably down to how atmospheric it is. 
and a lot mm. of bands could be limited. Even though our friends in the Dub All Stars have done an entire Dub Side of the Moon album. Get out of it. It's fucking brilliant. It's brilliant. I, have, I did not know that. I got Pure a Dub All Stars, like. <laughs> <laughs> remember we found him they did Sergeant Peppers yeah. remember the dub side of the moon that is fucking brilliant oh we gotta check that one. Oh, that's great <laughs> so whatever you're doing if you're listening listen to dub side of the moon first <laughs> do because it's enjoyable and then you'll hear the real one after and you get a double take <laughs> um, so I mean you've got I mean, we didn't we well this is first off this song uh, Roger Waters wrote uh, just on an acoustic guitar slower and he can't sing the way mm-hmm. Gilmore sings in his register. And they say that that's a huge influence of the name of the band. Because mm. there's a song that, it's called, they're called Pink Floyd after two blues musicians. Sid Barrett named them. Right, yeah. They're called uh, Pink Anderson and Floyd Council. They're originally right. called the Pink Floyd Sound. Oh, okay. And yeah. a, a school friend went, drop a sound. All right, all right. and dropped the the. All right, <laughs> all right. And that's how they became Pink Floyd. That. But he says there's a recording that one of these two guys made that influenced that line. But he cut a few bars of it. And that's where you get the 7-8 out. Oh, okay. So right. it's like a weird homage to them and Sid Barrett and oh, XYZ. Nice one. Um, so we, we have skipped a few tracks, obviously, on the run time. Um, but after Money, then, we, we come to... Uh, Another belter, the second single, actually. Yeah, um, yeah. That's um, if you remember as well, I have to mention it. See at the end of time when they do the breathe reprise, mm-hmm. they just go straight into breathe again. Yeah. The amount of times in my life where I went, have I been listening to breathe the whole time? <laughs> and never remember the time, which I is know. a brilliant song, Great song on its yeah. own. Is in the between them, yeah, and, and on the run. But it's that, amazing how they've done that. You know, it does make you think. And, and you're like, you, why did you do that? Yeah, you've looked back or something. You're yeah, like, oh, I don't. I don't. It's yeah, but it just works. And it does. It works so well. And I don't know if anybody else could do it as well today. Well, um, Queens of Stone Age tried it on Rated R. Yeah, right. Not feel good head of the summer is just at yeah. the end of another song for no reason. You're, what the fuck's <laughs> it? This is back again. <laughs> yeah. uh, Not quite the same. It's still wee, good. Like, still a wee reprise. We praise. Reprise. Um, so yeah, we're on to this Us and Them Yeah Which again is another uh, A really fucking standout track on Yeah this. And I don't know if it's standout Because of the single status But I think it's genuinely Because it's a good track mm-hmm. um, Again, you're talking What, 7 minutes 50? So you're talking a real Lengthy tune um, Well, there's a story behind this too But if you want to play A wee bit of it And we'll Again, somebody else made the song better. Yeah, something else made it better, and you can only do that in the studio. Like, yeah, you and can play live all the fucking time you want, but you just don't get the time to add. You can't just shout out, hey, "Anybody play the saxophone in the crowd?" <laughs> we've, we've just thought of a thing that doesn't happen. Uh, and yeah, that I mean, the sax in the middle just goes out of fucking nowhere. It comes out of nowhere. Really good. He was in the studio for like two days right. and recorded like three or four parts that are. 
that big, I listen to all the time. On the, like I, I look forward to hearing it. Big sax parts on that, definitely. This was recorded originally, or sorry, written for a film soundtrack they were doing in 1969. Oh. And they forgot. Oh. No, the, the director said it doesn't suit, and they forgot they had it. Jeez. And then one day they're in, what about that song? And they go, oh, I will add that into this album. And then they play it live and go, that's good, isn't it? Yeah. yeah, it's fucking good. It's a fucking single. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and again, good. they go to the studio then after they've played it live and they go, aye, this really does suit. What a, we'll just get another saxophone in her. Dave's there. <laughs> Dave. And he's, he's, just, he just he's, adds. Out of, he's out of front chatting with the security guard. Drinking <laughs> <laughs> his cup of tea. Eating his buns. Uh, so, yes, I mean, that takes us then to us and them. And you've got, um, you've, you've what, three more songs after that? Do you have any yeah. color you like? Uh, Brain Damage, which again is... Yeah. It's fucking, it's a hard one because it's, it's sort it's of a crazy tune mentally. and it's, it's a wee bit sort of out there. But when you realize the line and if the band you're in starts playing different tunes, <laughs> yeah, you, it was them yeah, playing with Sid Barrett standing in front of him and he was like, we're playing a different song than you're playing. And he didn't know. Fucking hell. So it's fucking creepy like. Really bad, yeah. Um, so yes, I mean, the, sort of the legacy, we talked about the live shows, that's where, where they really kicked off. Mm-hmm. Uh, First up, we'll just talk about Eclipse briefly, it's small. Hans Zimmer's re-recorded it for the June soundtrack. Get it's out. on Spotify and it's fucking incredible. Right, full orchestra and all behind it. Oh, so yeah, Eclipse. Which what you were saying earlier on was going to be the name of the album. Mm-hmm. So it's the final track on it. But uh, oh yeah, I must check out Hans. Zimmer. Oh, very, very, very good. good. Okay. Very good. Um, so yeah, I mean, as an overall encompassing, I mean, we talked about the seals. Obviously, it's it's setting. It has set records. Um, oh, massive throughout the decades. Topped by. Do you know any of the albums that are bigger than that? Oh. You could probably get one. Oh, under pressure. No, not that one. Um, <laughs> let me see. A well, album. I'll, give have you, to go. I'll give you what's one above it. Right. Bad out of hell. Oh, so something right. like three or four million. Thriller has to be up there. Thriller's number one. Okay. Yeah, right. But that jumped by thirty million units when Jackson died. Okay. All right. Okay. So really we've got we've got four of these boys still alive. Yeah. <laughs> so by the time all these boys are gone, this thing will be hitting one hundred and twenty million. So uh, in between those two is Back in Black. Oh, okay, yeah, right. So uh, you're... That's a bike sales there. Now, this is a weird one, and I didn't know that this was a fact. The Wall made more money than Dark Side of the Moon, even though it sold Mm. just over half. I was going to say. Double album. It cost $10 more. Uh, But wait till you hear this. I didn't fucking know this at all. You paid more for a double album. However, as a double album that sells 23 million, on the scans, it only counts as 11 and a half. Oh, no. So they, they cut it in half because it's a double album. That doesn't make any sense. Surely you, you would double it. You would double it, yeah. Surely if it was 23 million sold, you would say it's 46. But they don't. They half it? They half it. That's not just leaving it alone as a, as a, as a, as a that's, single. That's how many it's sold. Right yeah. it. They half it because it's a double album. Well, that is... Truly bizarre. But they a, still made more that, money. Is that a conspiracy theory, Roland? <laughs> Oh fuck! Ah, the pig's not. That does yeah. that do, That's mad, isn't it? I never knew it's that about bit, double albums. I never knew that's the way. I, I, I've had numerous double albums in my possession over the years, and I always just thought, "Fucking more tunes, man!" Maybe. Yeah, more that, tunes. But I, I never thought it reflected on the sales as being anything less than one album. And, and as like you that. say, if anything, it should be more than one album. Yeah, it should be double. Well, the year and every day's a school day. Weird fuckers, man. Um. So yes, uh, Pink Floyd. I mean, nineteen seventy-three. We move, it moves on. Then obviously we 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 have them breaking up and. Uh, well, they say that this album signaled the demise. Uh, the everything they're talking about thematically on this album, mm-hmm. greed and intrigue. You know, 
they ended up suffering from it themselves because they became fucking multi-millionaires in the space of six months. Yeah, it's almost like they projected their own demise. Yeah. Okay. And, uh, they, Richard Wright left first right. in 78, and then Waters left in 80. And then Richard Wright went right back to people. <laughs> so we can tell who was the one that they yeah, probably they couldn't like, get on yeah. with. But uh, unfortunately, he was the man writing all the chains. Like. Was there, there was something in, in the 90s. No, I don't, I should have done research on this. But I'm, there was I'm, something. I'm thinking of where you're going. Is there a, was there a live, like a big, big Pink Floyd live album from the 90s or something? There was something big released by them in the 90s, I thought. Well, they did Pulse, which was like a big quadruple that's what it was yeah there was some bit i knew it was like a, like I, a massive big thing i put that in put out yeah um, they, it was recorded and it was put out as a audio disc and it was huge i remember being like queuing up outside route 66 in Oma, waiting for it it was it was huge. it was me yeah. and like three other people like, <laughs> yeah but it was but still it, a queue it was massive but then so you have that break then and did, did they stop then until live it yeah live it they all rejoined that, they asked sid bart to come on the stage oh they didn't have to he, he, they said he wouldn't know what to do yeah. He doesn't remember any of it. Oh, man. Sad. And in fact, it upset him for months if somebody brought up his past. Even in a positive light, people, mm-hmm. fans, contact him. He wouldn't. But he went on doing paintings. He passed away at yeah. the end of the 2000s. But he, he he was quite happy, apparently, in the end of his life. So that's, 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 that's good. That's good, yeah. Uh, I was really into the, the Dark Side of the Moon when Live Yet happened. Uh-huh. So I was... Ecstatic. No, I can't imagine what real Pink Floyd fans were like. Oh no, Jesus. <laughs> for them to come together with Gilmore and Waters together. Of any of our shows, this show we will be getting fact checked to the nth degree oh, by yeah, Uber nerds. Like, yeah. Oh, there's plenty. Plenty. Of oh fuck, we've. But I remember at the time of Live Aid, for instance, that. But in a good way. I don't mean that. In a good yeah, way. no, no. Uh, it because it was so uh, such a big event and mm-hmm. such big bands and all the rest. I remember people my age going. Pink Floyd's headlining it? And I'm like, do yeah. you not know how fucking massive this is? And yeah. they're like, no, I never heard. No, I don't know. Aye. And it was, it was actually sad. Because yeah. I was in the, like such, such a sort of, uh, I don't know what you'll call it, an obsession with them for a couple of years. Mm. This was like, I was like, I can't believe I'm going to see them on TV, you know, doing yeah, this live. Yeah. And I obviously wasn't there, but to watch it. But other people were like, no, they shouldn't have been Wait, at the end. should have been Oasis or something. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah that's cool, but Robbie fucking Pink Floyd. Like? Robbie Williams could have done after them. Um, ah, it's, and and you're but when you watch that, then there's not a thing missed. No, no, no. Uh, it's no, and no, no. I don't know how much practice went into uh, their performance at Live Aid or whatever, but I mean, it must have been something because they were fucking tight as could be. Yeah. And even Gilmore's voice. Oh, I hope when he's you're thinking like... of '73 mm-hmm. and Live Aid was what 2005. Somewhere in that, yeah. I mean, that's an unreal voice to still have. Oh, so if you get a chance to go and look at the Live It uh, footage of there, I think they maybe play six songs or eight songs. Yeah, but every one of them are fucking... But every bet them people that you were talking to, when they watched it, went, they do that song? Aye, that's what happened, exactly what happened. Song. Nobody I, I, knew who the fuck... I didn't know they did that one about the, the, the teachers, no. I was aye. Like, aye, that's the one, right? And then Wish You Were Here. Wish You Were Here. Was people go, Jesus, yeah. I love that song. Love you, that. you know it's them boys singing it <laughs> that wrote it. And fuck off. Them boys, you said that should have been replaced with Rob, Robbie. Williams. Should have been replaced with Robbie Williams. That's that's the boys. So Led Zeppelin, the album's sort of vague in its design, like we talked about for Led Zeppelin Four. This is the same. There's mm-hmm. not much on it. Mm-hmm. There's not even a name in the front cover. No. Led Zeppelin and Pink Floyd's trajectory sort of went the same way, but Zeppelin were here to fuck everybody in the house. Pink Floyd were making tea. Yeah. <laughs> but they both got the same outcome they all wanted. Both. Invested in Monty Python's The Life of Brian. Oh, that's right, yes. Including Elton John. And Harrison as well. Yeah, and it was seen as a good tax write-off. 
as in 1975, your income tax was 90%. For a touring artist, musician, entertainer, actor, ninety percent income tax. Fucking hell! I'd be investing flat. You're right. Ninety fucking percent, twenty percent. Now we're all giving off fucking. <laughs> it jumped from seventeen and a half to twenty. We all went mental. <laughs> we that have to. First, we have to end by addressing the rumor about the Wizard of Oz and the dark side of the moon. Well, go for it. I have done it. Yes, I remember you telling me you did it. Yeah. And it does kind of link up. Yes, I agree. But they didn't even know what the Wizard of Oz was. Yeah, I was going to say it was never intentional. No, not one. But here's the thing that we want to talk about drugs. (laughs) Hit me up with it. Somewhere along the line. Yep. (laughs) Somewhere was listening to the album. And then that was on the background. And now I'm not going to say it was the drugs. No, definitely not. But it probably was. Yeah, it definitely is. <laughs> that they realized then that the song was almost like a, a written score yeah. for The Wizard of Oz. There's certain points, and this album is only 45 minutes long. The Wizard of Oz is longer. But there's certain points in this album where things that happen when you start from the logo, certain things now, on, on the screen. Right now, you, you press play on the album on the third roar of the lion. Yes. And then things that was MGM big lion. Yeah, remember that? So things the third strangely line, line up. They do line up really bad, like, and they do. If you think of, I can't remember the name of the track. It's in between, but the the hurricane scene or the tornado scene mm-hmm. in Wizard of Oz, and this is going full mad, and you're like, holy fucking, fucking. This could be the soundtrack to yeah. Wizard of Oz. But however, people have found about seven hundred other similarities between other albums, mm-hmm. books. If you read them to uh, a tick, if you read them to the fucking right, yeah. Or other uh, movies. For this album? For this album. Right, okay. So, yeah, it's hmm. a massive, massive coincidence. And that's all it is. Yeah, I, I remember reading I remember it, hearing that yeah. before hearing anything about the album. And then, oh no, I, I, no, I knew all about uh, Pink Floyd and I knew about the album. I never knew the link between that and The Wizard of Oz until maybe around about like that time, early mm-hmm. 2000s. And um, let's just say, Ronan, there were a couple of nights, you know, where you I would have... Okay. Strong cup, down, strong, strong cup of coffee, strong cup of coffee, some herbal vitamins, and then I would have just laid back and put on that in the background, and it freaked the fuck out of me the first time it happened. Well, <laughs> especially the, the tornado scene, and then something else where where it goes from the um, the sort of sepia black and white to the color. Aye, it, at times in so well, where there's this big <laughs> bee. Like they've said that uh, they've said that that sort of thing fell conjointly with the lads who were losing albums. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and were just looking to find anything. Yeah. Anything that, because it was being listened to, and like we said at the start, this isn't an album you just listen to a first few songs or pick your favourite one. No. It's start to finish every time. And it and has to And be. it's not to be played at a party. No. It's not going to happen. That's not, maybe money, maybe at a push but Dorothy beginning to jog at the lyric no one will to- tell you when to run yeah. during time Dorothy balancing on a tightrope fence during the line balanced on the biggest wave and breathe there are two examples that you haven't mentioned but as very I, very vague what I was going to say to you is the key thing because I've done, I've done it maybe twice or three times of, of doing that you know to try and see exactly like you say do lines fit up about eight times yeah in 45 minutes it matches up but the rest is just, yeah. 
So like, again, but it's if, just if but again, it's, it's people have pushed out, pushed that sort of yeah. urban myth and kept it going. And if we went to do that deliberately, right? And firstly, we decided to only do it for half the film. People will go, <laughs> yeah. "All right, that's a bit weird." <laughs> but then, secondly, for every member of the band, management, and the recording engineer. No one ever mentioned The Wizard of Oz once. No. It would be a massive hoodwink <laughs> to the public, wouldn't it? Where you just tell the end of time, deny it as any link. But again, it's back to my thing I've always said. Who first figured out who first figured out that you could boil an egg? Go on. So who first figured out that Wizard of Oz and Dark Side of the Moon at the same time? What was that what was that moment in time where people went, Oh, because it wasn't it wouldn't have been people. It would have been a person went. It would have been oh, a person. matches up, and then it builds on that. There's pre-internet and pre-all that sort of stuff. So this was just, uh, and now obviously we are able to. It was pre-VHS. You're able to debunk it, yeah. How but the fuck? Like, could you imagine? Was how a much? boy walking in absolutely white yeah. as a sheet into a, a cinema with big mad can headphones on, listening to the Dark Side of the Moon, going, "This is weird, man." Forty bags of crisps. <laughs> Hidden under his coat. Rollers. <laughs> Rollers and Space Raiders falling out of him. <laughs> Sounds like a trip. I take this on him every time. Uh, so, yes, I mean, we can confirm that that is not true. Not true. And uh, has no link at all. But it's always a, a, a nice thing to try out as an experiment to see. Yeah. Uh, because ultimately, you get to listen to Dark, uh, Dark Side of the Moon. <laughs> yeah. And if it ain't your thing, just get the big multi-pack Skittles and get yourself in a diabetic coma <laughs> for after the 45 minutes of the album are up. You know, it's not going to be enjoyable tomorrow, but it'll be enjoyable <laughs> no, right now. Right now. So, uh, with that, we will we will depart and we will head over to the bright side of the moon uh, and let you... There is a bright side. There is no dark side, you know. There is a bright side. Uh, yeah, there's no dark side. Yeah. Allegedly. There isn't. Mm. I've seen it. Boy, show me a picture. Pictures are real. I don't know. I know a boy lives there. So... <laughs> <laughs> We haven't been doing anything illegal during this <laughs> Not one, not one thing. Not yet. Uh, so, as always, folks, uh, go on, uh, if you get the chance, there's a 2011 remastered edition on Spotify, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, if, you, if you're very lucky, you could uh, maybe have an uncle or a, a, your dad or somebody has the vinyl. Yeah. Up in the attic. Get the original vinyl. Part of the remastered vinyl is just a heavier vinyl. It doesn't really do anything to the mix at all. Yeah. Get the original. Get the original if you can. Uh, don't fucking... Damage it because it could be worth money. <laughs> it could very fucking be worth money. Um, but yeah, go and give it a go. It might be your first time listening to Pink Floyd. It might be the first time uh, going into the, a concept experimental slash sort of album. Uh, but again, what an album to start. Oh man, to kick it's, you off. Of. Like there's been psychedelic music before. There's been prog rock music, which they always get labelled as. But mm. this isn't it. It's a whole other ball game. Like yeah, and it hasn't been touched since. I don't think. No, no. Everybody's tried. You know, Radiohead, OK Computer, fantastic album, but it doesn't have a patch on this. No. So, go and uh, look for the dark side of the moon uh, and get on to the, the Pink Floyd. Get on to Pinky Floyd's. Get on to Pinky Floyd's <laughs> bright side of the moon. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, we will be back again with something else. But until then, we hope you uh, enjoy the great gig in the sky and keep repeat over and over. Just mm. play that tune. Yeah. <laughs> Repeat the fucking album, man. It's great. 45 minutes of your life. Brilliant. I know, it's only 45 minutes. When you Do think you're about in the guys, you know what I mean? But it does... It almost... Stops time. Oh man, it's like, of all <laughs> But you know the forty-five minutes part. You're like, it feels longer. It feels yeah. like I have consumed more information in those forty-five minutes than oh, I yeah. normally would in forty-five minutes of an album. Definitely. And there's so much happening. So, get the headphones on, turn it up, fall whack, and uh, fall Francie. 
And, and when you think it's going to be quiet, it's going to be really loud in a minute. So yeah. maybe turn, just turn have your hand on the knob to bring her. And uh, just go full Barrett on it and just go mental. Sitter. <laughs> right. On that note, it's, that's it from me. Bonjour. <laughs>